I say anything a little bit skewed this morning, please forgive me um, within that. There's my, my disclaimer this morning. But we've been talking about Philippians for the last couple of weeks. Last week, we, we had a bit of an ode to mums in there as well. So I didn't actually get through the verses that we started on last week. So I just want to continue on. Obviously, we're talking about a community of believers and a church that Paul loved dearly, that he went there. It was the first church in Macedonia that was set up, the first church in, in um, outside sort of the Jewish area that was established. And, and right through there, he had a deep heart, gave, self-sacrificed himself for them in the whole process of its establishment. And what we see from the first few verses is that he's got a dear love and a dear heart and that this is a people who he loves dearly. And so I just want to read the first, from verse 9 in chapter 1. This is my prayer, that your love, he's just told them how he holds an affection for them, and that, that your love, your agape, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight or understanding, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we just ask you to open your word to us this morning and that we thank you. It is life, Lord, it is direction, and it is sharp. And so, Lord, we ask that your word would examine us, it would instruct us, it would encourage us, it would inspire us, Lord, and if need be, Lord, it would bring us reproof as well. But we just want to just walk deeper and deeper in you, and we just thank you that you've given us such a wonderful word. Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Paul starts out in that, and, and he's just told them that he's got affection, and his first prayer when he says the thing that he prays for the most is that they would love more, that there would be a deeper love. And if we look at the word love in the Scripture, we know Paul, this is the basis of his gospel. He's, he preaches a gospel of love in the whole thing. But love is the, the base thing. We know that it tempers the gifts of the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about love being the aspect about which we should minister out of. It, it gives direction. We know with Jesus' life that he walked around and so often was driven by love in, in miracles. That he saw the sick and he was moved with compassion or affection or love and miracles happen. Love is an aspect that, that creates a fertile ground for miracles. You know that. If you, you see someone, if someone close to you that you, you have affection for is sick, you're going to do something about that. You're motivated to inspire faith and gain some faith where you might not have had it before and go, come on, I, I need... We saw that through, through Jesus' life. We saw the, um, the centurion, his daughters died. He didn't approach Jesus before that. But as soon as his daughter was, was on deathbed, he went and found that Jesus. He was motivated in love to get some faith and to do something with that and inspire by action. We know love inspires evangelism. It's a great motivator for evangelism. If we don't love people, we, we won't do something about it. I, I remember I was sitting there and um, God started talking to me about a lady at a checkout that was serving me. And, um, and I thought, oh, this is a bit weird. I don't want to ask her about her daughter and pray about that. And so I remember leaving there and then sitting in my car afterwards and going, Lord, what's going on? Why didn't I respond to your word there? Why didn't I listen to you and actually share with this lady what God was saying and what I believe you're doing? He's like, well, you didn't love her enough. That's true. If I had had more affection for her at that time, it wouldn't have worried me about what I, how much of a fool I might have looked like if I was saying something like that. We feel like that, don't we, when we want to step out and do something out of the ordinary? But if we love, we'll overcome that. 
in that there's many motivators in our life that inspire things, the desire for power, desire for purpose, revenge. We see a lot of that in our world at the moment. Um, I don't think we go a week without hearing something about revenge porn and, and things that people want to get back at those that are hurting and upsetting, and, and so they put that out and, and, and try and get back. But the most, the strongest motivator is love. The deepest motivator of our behaviors is love, and it shows us that we're the disciples. It inspires hours and hours of effort to put cards and tablecloths on walls and many, many selections of tea and coffee out for, for people to enjoy and, and have a great time. And, and so Paul's desire for this is that we would overflow in love, that it's already inside us, but it would abound, it would overflow and not just overflow, when we think about overflow, it doesn't affect just us, but it starts pouring out on the people around us. I guess it's sort of like those links ads, isn't it? You lift your arms up and you just get the overflow going on to the people around us, but instead of the sweat pits, you're getting that overflow of love. And in fact, the, the, Paul's whole prayer is just about how we affect and relate to others. And we find later on in the chapter that this is Paul's motivation for actually remaining on earth is that his desire that others would come to know Jesus. And it's not just that it would overflow in our lives, but it would overflow more and more. More and more. I used to live in a house with a few guys, and um, it was one of those interesting houses that had a tree at the back which had grown under the pathway. And as it grew under the pathway, you find that trees, well, they sort of search out roots. We had one out the back years ago that searched out roots and clogged, <laughs> clogged all our plumbing up and we got a renovated Chatswood room out of it in the end. Uh, but we had this tree that came under. So about every sort of three to six months, what would happen is you'd be having a shower and then the drains would begin to overflow in the bathroom and get there. And you got to that point where all of a sudden you sort of had to mitigate how much time you spent in the shower and there was four of us living there and so sometimes it would just sit there and and there may have been days we didn't have a shower and I as a young guy I was a bit of like yes um don't get me camping camping is wonderful camping is so good you go swimming and you're fine um I think that that mud smelt more than I do after um <laughs> days of hard labor but instead I smell it <laughs> but we, we had this thing and, and, but you know if it's turning the tap on that, that shower was just overflowing more and more my bedroom was right next to it so a few times the overflow invaded my bedroom but it's just like turning that tap on and just wanting more and more not just overflowing the bedroom but then flowing down the stairs and getting in the kitchen and then out the doors Paul's desire is that we would just turn all the taps on in that bathroom and just overflow more and more and more and more that it would be ever increasing Outwards and outwards. This thinking was so much in contrast to the philosophers of the day. This desire that love would be the core motivator. You see, you had a couple of real big schools of thought. You had the Hellenistic thought, the Greek school of thought, that the way to actually live life and the way to get the most out of it was to know more things, to grow in knowledge and, and to be educated and educated about everything. Then you had the Jewish thought which was to know the morality on which we live and to follow a set of laws and to attain uh, a standard of life and a standard of morality. And against this, Paul brings in this whole understanding, this whole thought in contrast that, no, 
love is the chief thing that we should be aiming for. Love is the greatest thing that we should desire. And, and, and out of this, a lot of people have come and, and looked at it and go, well, because of that then, if love's all that I need, if love is all there is, then I'm going to discard morality and I'm going to discard knowledge and I'm just going to pursue love. But Paul sort of tempers this, you see, because love untempered can create all sorts of issues. I remember as a kid, there was this show, Animaniacs, and you had this little girl that was on there, and she used to love, love, love her cat. And she'd love, love, love her cat and grab it and squeeze it, and its eyeballs would pop out of its head. And um, I've seen some people that love, love, love on their pets, their fish. I don't mean, love my fish. He just needs food. He needs more food. He needs more. Oh, look at that. He's swimming sideways now. And um, too much love sometimes can create issues. Love today creates issues. And accept that I just love all people and I'm just going to accept everything that they do and everything that they're about. And, and, and if you don't accept everything someone believes and are, then you don't actually have love, our world would tell us. Um, actually, I was, I was just reflecting and thinking about I When I was doing my honours, I was working in a, in a room, and, and one, of the, one of the guys that was working on the same research project as, as me, his name David, he actually was doing some um, psychological work in, in the prisons and worked with sex offenders. And I thought this was really interesting to, to chat to. Now, when you do counselling, the first thing that you generally learn is Rogerian theory, which is about just that people have the answer in themselves and to essentially be nice and listening and, and reflect what they're saying to you. And a lot of encouragers and yes, and, and that's great, and, and, and just empathy. However, when dealing with this particular clientele, you can't do that. Because that's not love in that situation. Because as soon as someone, something switches in the brain chemistry, with sex offenders, I found out, and, and as soon as there's any sort of empathy that's given, they go, you agree with me. I'm right. See, my behaviors are right. And so in that instance, all of a sudden, love untempered can become a, a terrible, dangerous thing. And so Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, Paul doesn't say love only. Actually, in Ephesians, he says that, I desire that you might have the love that surpasses knowledge. He doesn't say that goes away with knowledge or kicks out knowledge, but love's the greatest thing, but you also need the knowledge underneath it. And here he uses actually knowledge and insight. He actually uses here, if you go back into the Greek language, he uses the same phrases of the philosophers of the day. And instead of saying that their philosophies are wrong, you know, a lot of philosophies, they come from God. I remember sitting in, in my first year psych and, and sitting there and going, and they're telling me all these things and understanding about the human brain and how we should talk and so on. Just read the Bible. You could have known that beforehand. Cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah, just read the Bible. That was there a long time before that was come up with and um, all these things in there. And, and so a lot of these things come from God. And so he, he, he addresses that. A lot of things in the New Age movement, they have origins in God. Actually, even in Satanism, a lot of it origin of God. Like the upside down cross, that's a, a symbol of, uh, of the satanic now. Well, originally it was a symbol of Christianity. Peter was crucified upside down. And so it's a, one of our things that's been stolen. Look at Moses. What happened with Moses? Moses went around when he was performing miracles. The, the 
Well, I guess they were the witchcraft people that were with Pharaoh at the time. They were doing exactly the same things. They were just a fake copy of what was going on. So a lot of things around are just a dull copy of what's going on. So Paul wasn't scared of the philosophy of the day, and he wasn't scared of the philosophers and what they were talking about. But he actually went, okay, great. You understand Hellenistic and and Jewish thought. We need to apply that to love. We actually need love to abound in knowledge and depth of insight. We need to, to be tempered by what the Greeks believe and by what the Jews understand as well. So in love, we need to know more. We need to understand the word more. We need to be taught and understand how God operates and who we are and how we should operate within that. But also, we should also understand a moral value set. We need understanding for things underneath. Otherwise, you can get yourself in deep trouble. Youth went into um, boom night on Friday night into the city. And, and, and there's a couple of young boys who were operating in, in love on the train, I believe. A couple of our year 12 fellas, they were operating in deep love on the train. They were just excited by the fact that they're going to this event and hearing about Jesus. And they just wanted other people to hear about Jesus. So there was a couple of young people on the train and they went and started inviting them to youth events. Which was, yeah, fantastic, isn't it? The only problem was... These other people were 13-year-old girls, and their dad was standing behind them. We almost had another situation to deal with after that, and and, um, almost had a situation where we had to deal with some broken youth boys. Uh, Love without knowledge and understanding can create issues, but we need to operate in the boundaries of why and the boundaries of values. And so Paul goes on, why, did, why is this? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, there's an outcome for wanting love to operate within the boundaries of knowledge and understanding. Um, one of the things that I'm discovering, and, and see, parents, we have an outcome and, and a reason for the things we do. Paul is just, especially with our kids, but Paul's kind enough to explain it here. My, my sons are at that age now where one of their favorite words every time I give them an instruction, why? Because I said so, young man. And, and to me, that's a valid enough answer. That should be all they require because, yes, I said so. And it, we find it an infuriating question. The real answer is because I got your best interest at heart. And that's why I've come up with this thing, or because I'm tired and annoyed right now, if I'm really honest. And, and, uh, but Paul, he could just say that. He could just say, I want you love to abound and operate within knowledge and understanding, and that's it. But he's a lot kinder than most parents and actually goes on to under- explain why. He gives us a, a why. I, I want that you would, my desire is that you would make the best choices. My desire is that you'd be the best person. See, I tell my boys, put the tablet down. Why, Dad? Because I said so. No, why? Because last time you walked out in the dark and you tripped over, and I don't want you to get hurt, and I don't want the tablet to get injured. And also, by the way, I actually want you to not just be in front of a screen all the time and actually use your creativity and understanding so that later on you can be a bigger influence in the world than what you would be as if you just had your face buried in a screen. But that's a lot harder to say than because I said so. But Paul. (laughs) Paul. Because I want you to be the best possible person. And because I want you to make the best possible choices. See, when love is operating in those borders, 
He desires that we may be able to discern what is best or understand what is most important. See, we can make good choices when the choices are limited. See, if I go to the movies and I look and I see there's a chick flick and there's a Marvel movie on, well, that's an easy decision, isn't it, ladies? We're going to see the Marvel... We've got a choice between right and wrong. It's really simple. Some choices are a, a, a lot more difficult. If I go to a restaurant and I look at the menu and I start looking out, I could have that. Oh, I could have that. Oh, that would take. I wonder what that's. I'm like, I want to sometimes say, can I just have a small bit of everything? That's how you cook, Nelly. I've been with, I've eaten with you. It's great. I get a selection of all things. Um, I believe someone's got Nelly coming to cook them a meal sometime as well. That is fantastic. I missed out on that. wasn't in the room, but did. Um, but, but it's one of the, that's, that's a harder choice. I, I remember when we were looking for a, a school for Josiah. It was one of the, that's probably the most difficult choice I've ever made. We had him applied at three or four different schools in the end. Because sometimes the choice doesn't become down to what's the good one and what's the bad one. Sometimes it's not even there's a good one and a lot of bad ones. Sometimes it's a choice between good, 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 gooder, goodest, most good, if you want to. And so here's the thing, actually, this language about what Paul's writing, he's actually writing about using the language around someone that tests if precious metal is real. So someone that's testing if gold is really gold. Someone that's testing the quality of coins. Someone that's testing the quality of value. And so what he's saying is, I want your love to abound in knowledge and understanding. Why? So that you may be able to look at all the good choices in front of you and test which is the actual best one. That you might choose the best out of all the good, all the options that are in front of you. And, and, and that may be the thing that takes time. That takes time. Many good choices in life. And then he goes on, but there's even a deeper reason than that. That you might be pure and blameless until Christ returns. That word pure there, spotless, another translation says, another philosophical term actually from Plato. And Plato talks about this purity and he moves it from being a completely um, external thing to being a moral thing. The word there actually means to place in the sun, sun bleached, sun bleached. I found something, as when I was at high school, my hair was a lot redder than what it is now, and most people sit there and go, you don't have red hair, and I cry a little bit now when they say that to me, but yes, I'm still a ranger. And But the fact is, I'm not out in the sun as much, and so it looks a lot more brown now, whereas when I was at school, I was in the sun as often as I could be, because I didn't want to be in the classroom, because kicking a football was more interesting than getting sent outside of my classroom at the time. And, and so Plato had this thing where he moved from that. I had a fish tank, and, and to get my fish tank up to the proper pH, I had to put coral in the sun for a while to bleach it, to put back in the fish tank to get the pH level right. And so it's this, this element of that, our lives being purified, not just on the outside, but a morality, sincere, honest, transparent. So that you, people might know what you're thinking and doing and saying and you're not embarrassed by it. There is actually an ability in Christ to operate like that. Now that's, that's a wild, I, I don't want people to know how I think sometimes. 
I don't want what's going on in there to be displayed. Oh, no, we're going to hide this. It's going on. But there is something in love, when love becomes the directive of what we're doing, that we can display our, our thoughts up on, on screen and it's all going to be coming all right. And then he says, I want you to be more than that. I want you to be blameless, which literally means to not stumble over something in your path. Or as we know, Paul talks about in Corinthians, don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. So what he's saying is, I want you to be transparent, but I also don't want you to get caught up in the decisions and the sins around you, nor do I want you to become a stumbling block and, and get caught up in somebody else's sin within that. For instance, what that, that looks like is there might be things that you're free to do that somebody close to you or around you isn't. Because when, when the... When the disciples were, were giving the church a list of instructions of how to live, keep sexually pure, don't eat meat offered to idols. That was it. That was it. And yet now, our modern day church is there are volumes upon volumes of catechism to follow and, and rules and laws and regulations. But when the disciples got together, don't eat meat offered to idols. Keeps actually pure. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. And so what he convicts you about might be different to what he convicts me about, which might be different to what he convicts the person next to you about. But it's all unto God. And that's why we need knowledge and morality of the word as well, to temper this. But for instance, what that looks like is, most people that know me know I, I don't drink. And if you want to use old terms, I'm a teetotaler. From that, Why? Because most of my ministry has been to young people. In Australia, we know, if, if there's Australians that go over to Europe, what are they known as when in their relation to alcohol? They don't know how to handle alcohol Australians. They get drunk. We have a drunken culture. Our football culture is a drunken, abusive culture. Again, in the last couple of weeks, a whole bunch of people, not just done for, for alcohol, but done for actually drugs, Throughout, throughout our football and that. And so dealing with young people, even worse than that, young people, when you put young people with drinks, generally the whole thing is just drunk. I remember growing up and a number of, every party that was around, everywhere, it was just people drunk all over the place. I had one of my mates with his head on my boot for 16 hours throwing up at one point when I was 15. We were on a farm with no phone. I didn't understand what alcohol poisoning looked like at the time. Now I know what's going on. He could have died. And, and so with this whole thing going on, I've made a decision not to be a stumbling block because, or even go anywhere near any of the bottle loads and things like that because if a young person sees me there, oh, Scott's doing that. I can do that. And, and so that's, that's my value there to, to keep safe and, and, to, and to not be a stumbling block before many and not be a stumbling block and get caught up in this. Why does this matter? Because Christ's coming back. Christ is coming back. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's actually coming back. He's coming back for a pure, spotless bride. He's actually making his way back here. He left one day, went up and went on a cloud and angels appeared and said, he's going to come back in the same way, appearing in clouds with a whole triumph of angels around him, alerting that. And he says, when he comes back, the whole world will be aware at the very same time of that, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I imagine there's going to be some TV cameras on that. There's going to be some Twitter going off. There's going to be some live feeds of, of that event. Actually, when he comes back, 
we won't be able to see the sun. Just like when the, when the stars, we can't see the stars in daylight because the sun's more brilliant than the stars and we can't recognize them. His brilliance is going to be so bright that we won't recognize the sun in the sky at that point. So I'm, I'm anticipating that something's going to happen, a, a whole refraction around the ozone layer at that point, that when nighttime becomes daytime on the opposite sides of the planet, wherever he's coming back from, even at that point. And, and so this, and we'll be caught up with him. And on that day, we'll join him and we'll be pure and spotless. Actually, one thing he's going to make us when he returns is he's going to make us pure and spotless. Do you agree on that refraction thing on the ozone, Caleb? Were you with me there? You go, we'll, we'll. Okay. <laughs> I like questions. We'll talk later. And um, so he's coming back. He's going to make us pure and spotless. Completely. No sin. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking eschatologically. he's he's not talking about what's going to happen after that. He's going to make us pure and spotless. He's talking about be pure and spotless now before then. Why? Because it affects other people. He's talking about how we relate to other people. Um, See, this this is one of those things. I might talk about this next week. Even though, yeah, we might talk more about his return next week because... I, I want you to understand, when he returns, most people think it's like a set of scales going on. That your good and your bad are going to be weighed up, and as long as you've got more good in there, you're going to get in. Well, no, it's whether you've got a ticket or not. Have you confessed and believed in your heart, you get in. But there's a judgment seat of Christ that even we stand before, and then people think, well, actually, we're either going to be, it's, it's like a law seat, we're going to be found and, and get rewards or or some punishment in heaven depending on whether we're fulfilled but no we're going to stand in front of christ and he's an adjudicator to us not a judge he is a judge but it fits more in a sports metaphor than a legal metaphor and so he will come and will be judged in terms of what rewards we receive there's five crowns talked about in the in the new testament about these rewards that we'll receive and i i want to unpack that next week i think because uh, there's one of these aspects about the Bema seat that we, we have, I think, creates confusion. And I don't want to address just in five minutes, but there's a whole bunch of stuff to address there. Because understand, understand, church, that you're going to stand before Jesus one day. He's going to be on a podium, and his desire is to give you great rewards. His desire is to hang a medal around your neck. His desire is to look at your life and go, Did you follow the plans that I had for you and follow them to completeness? And it's not going to be the fact of whether you get punished for not doing them. It's either you get rewarded or not. And my hope for us, church, is that all in this place would receive the full reward that he's got for you. Wouldn't just just sort of scrape in and, oh, yeah, we're in there. Yeah, we're all in. But then there's a level that goes beyond that. There's a second time in front of Christ. He's going to pick his sheep and his goats out. But then there's a time after that where he's going to stand there and bestow upon you a crown, a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, a crown of salvation, a crown of purity. That you may be able to choose the best thing from the good around us and you may be living pure and spotless until that day when he 
return. Come on, let's just stand this morning. I just want to pray that over us. Lord, oh, what a blessed assurance we have. What a blessed assurance that we have in you that there is a complete grace that we are washed by your blood and we're guaranteed entry to eternity by that. If we do the simple thing of confess and believe. Lord, I just ask that our love may increase. That it would flow over from us. It would overflow to those around us, Lord. It would cover. It would submerge. It would just pour out of us like an ocean, Lord. Just raging around us in love, Lord. And as we grow in that love, Lord, we would grow in knowledge. We would know you more. We would know the word more. We would have a greater understanding of how you operate and who we are and how this world operates. Lord, that we would be a people who would understand the values and the morality behind who you are, under knowing you intimately and personally and knowing how you want to operate within us and, and the systems in which you want us to work. Lord, that we might be a people. Lord, that we might be a people who know how to choose. To choose what is best. Lord, that we would make wise decisions based in love. Lord, and thank you as you bestow on us righteousness. And Lord, we ask that we would live pure and blameless lives. That we wouldn't be tripping up on the things that always get in our way. Lord, nor would we be tripping other people up. Lord, so give us the love that we would just give up some things that we might hold on to and be okay with. That we wouldn't be an issue to somebody else's righteousness, Lord. And Lord, we look forward to that day of your return with excitement because, Lord, you've called us to it and appointed us to rise with you. And we're, yeah, that, that's really neat. But, Lord, also we want to live lives now that are following your plan and following your will and able to discern it, Lord, because, Lord, just because we love you and you're worthy of it. And so we give you the praise and the honor for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's just worship, and as we do, if you need prayer this morning, the altar's open. Uh, if you 